absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Welcome back, podcast patrons, to another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan, and got an awesome guest on today, widely requested. You've been asking about him in the DMs for probably months. We've got Mr. Zach Blair. Zach, what's going on? Nothing much, man. How are you? I'm doing good, my man. I'm doing good. I'm trying to bide some time during this uh, enormous shutdown. What about yourself? Yeah, same thing. Just a, a lot of time kind of at home, hanging out with the dogs and the wife and, you know, doodling and sketching and just trying to keep myself sane over here. Now, you still got courses open by you, right? Yeah, um, they they just shut down kind of all the city courses in Salt Lake, um, but most of the country clubs are still open. Um, a lot of them kind of have like a no guest policy, but... Um, yeah, at least you can get out and play a few. Yeah, that's uh, that's it's a lot better off than than we're doing here in the in the Northeast. I know a lot of our fans are kind of uh, holed up and working on their short games diligently in their backyards and in their houses. You know. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's it's a weird situation right now. So listen, let's get a, let's get a little bit into your history. Everybody that listens to this podcast knows you from the Buck Club, right? I mean, that's kind of like the default go-to um, way that everyone knows Zach Blair. But I'd like to get a little bit into your past history in playing, and then uh, we'll kind of work towards present day. So you know, one of the things that I think that people probably don't know is is you're a Utah guy through and through. You and your dad both went to BYU, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I grew up here. Um, so did my dad. And, you know, yeah, like you said, we both went to BYU. Both have lived here our whole lives and, you know, plan on sticking around. Now, I mean, it's a phenomenal state. I've been out there um, to Hurricane, to St. George's. Actually, St. George's has probably my favorite Walmart in the world. Like the St. <laughs> George's Walmart is pristine. It's absolutely insane. It's like none other that I've experienced across the country. <laughs> yeah my dad actually lives down there uh in saint george so i get down there uh, you know a few times a year especially kind of usually right around now when the weather's not great up north it's nice to get down there the weather's a little a little warmer all the courses are in a little better shape so it, it's fun to get down there now, when you were playing in high school and stuff, did you have offers from other colleges or, or were you just kind of dead set on, I'm going to BYU, my dad went there, I'm kind of familiar with the place. How did that whole process work itself out? I mean, honestly, I was, uh, I always really wanted to go to Oklahoma State. Um, I had kind of like made my mind up early on in high school. That that's where I was going to go. Um, and then kind of when it came down to it, just got a better offer at BYU that, that you know, I knew that wherever I went, I was going to be able to go play golf. Um, you know, you play a lot of the same tournaments. Um, you know, the facilities maybe were a little better at Oklahoma State and stuff like that. But uh, I knew that I just wanted to go play golf. And when I got kind of that good of an offer at BYU and my dad had gone there, I had a few friends going there it was kind of a easy decision. Um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of how that went, but I'm glad I went there, you know, had a couple of really good coaches, a lot of good teammates and met my wife there. So it was, a, I think it was a pretty good decision. Yeah. So it all worked out. I, I think it's funny because, um, my wife's dad told her when she was choosing her college, we went to the same college. We actually met in our first class ever together, he said, I hope you like this place because this is where you're probably going to meet your husband at. <laughs> yep, exactly. So that's awesome that it worked out for you kind of the same way. Um, for all the junior golfers that, that listen to us, what kind of golfer were you in high school? Were you doing the whole AJGA tour? Were you doing all the junior tournaments? Um, I, I got into that maybe a little later, um, maybe around my last few years in high school, I was, you know, playing a handful of those a year. Um, but not, not a ton, honestly, I think 
you know, golf's weird. You, you know, everyone progresses kind of at, at different paces. You know, you get some kids that are really good when they're really little, and that doesn't always, you know, carry on for when you're kind of in college and stuff like that. So, um, I mean, I don't think it's the end of the world if you're not playing those types of tournaments, but it is nice to kind of play against the best competition and everything like that. It definitely helps out. Yeah, I kind of, when, when, when kids ask me that or people ask me, I kind of always relate to them like, no matter what, the cream is always going to rise to the top. You know, I mean, if you have that much talent, someone's going to notice it. Someone's going to see it along the way. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, like I said, you, if you're out there playing in those bigger tournaments, it's it's definitely easier to get kind of recognized or whatever. But at the same time, like you mentioned, if if you're really that good, you'll kind of pop your head out somewhere and someone will see. And um, I mean, honestly, though, like the whole college thing, you really just want to go somewhere where you can play golf. Um, some Sometimes a decent player can go to a really good school and get kind of stuck in that spot where you're not qualifying and then you're not traveling and then you never get to really play in tournaments and you've kind of wasted a couple of years earning your stripes to where, I mean, you play and it's an individual sport at the end of the day. And, you know, you're going to play in a lot of the same tournaments or the same areas as a lot of different schools. So, I mean, I've always like told my friends growing up that are, that are a little younger than me. I mean, just go somewhere where you can play. Yeah. It's just about getting the repetitions, right? I mean, being out there and playing is going to make you better than sitting around watching other people play. Yeah, exactly. For sure. So after BYU, you go on, you kind of go, you know, what I'd consider the, the typical pro route. You play Latino America tour, uh, you play the web tour in 14, and then you get your, your card for the 14-15 season. What was that like? I mean, I'm assuming this was probably a childhood dream, play on the PGA Tour. Your dad had played on the PGA Tour. So what was that like getting the tour card for the 14-15 season? <laughs> Sorry, my dog. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, guys, guys, go down. Go get mom. Um, yeah, for me, I kind of took uh, a little different route just how fast everything went. I, I went to Q school as an amateur my senior year of college and made it to finals. And um, that kind of opened some doors for me to be able to – uh, go play Latin America. So right kind of when I was graduating, I mean, I had a couple months left of school. I went down and played the PGA Tour Latin America for, I think, like six six or seven events because their um, seasons broke by the summer. Um, so you play like six events, then take the summer off and then play six events again or something. So I played those first six events uh, down there and was playing pretty good. And uh, um, then I qualified for the uh, U.S. Open at Pinehurst. I played one McKenzie Tour event up in Canada and then played the U.S. Open at Pinehurst. Played pretty good. You know, first PGA Tour event um, was, was really, really cool. Awesome experience. And then right after that, uh, I got into my first web event because I didn't finish very good at Q school. I finished like 70th or something like that. So I wasn't getting any of those starts um, through the first half of the year. But it was some crazy schedule schedule situation where it went like Indiana and then to Nova Scotia, then back to Utah. And um, there was supposed to be like a hurricane or something in Nova Scotia. So everybody started withdrawing. So I got into that event and played well. And uh, Utah was the next week, and I had a sponsor exemption in that into that event and played well in Utah, and I reshuffled after that since I had that web status from making it to finals. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty wild. And then, obviously, I played pretty good those last, you know, 10 or 11 um, web starts. And then during the uh, finals, I took second that last event at TPC Saw Sawgrass and uh, – got my card. So it was all in like a five or six month stretch that I went from PJ tour, Latin America, played a 
uh, McKenzie Tour event, played the PGA Tour event on the U.S. Open, then played the back half of the web, and then got my card. So it was it was pretty wild. It was a fun ride, though, for sure. What's that like as a, as a kind of a, a newly formed tour pro and having to acclimate with that type of travel schedule? Because you said before, you know, it was something crazy. We went from like Indiana to Nova Scotia down to or back over to Utah. And, and that's kind of typical Corn Ferry tour. You know, I mean, it crisscrosses the country. There's no rhyme or reason. Yeah, uh, even just even just traveling down in South America, um, don't speak that much Spanish. So going from you know, college to where, you know, you have your coaches taking you around, you know, they're paying for everything and, you know, they're doing all the travel and kind of arranging everything to basically being dropped in this country or, you know, this, all these places down there, you know, Mexico, Guatemala, Argentina, um, Uruguay, Puerto Rico, you know, you're just like, yeah, go, go do it, I guess. And so it was definitely like a, you had to learn pretty quick. Um, but it was good. You know, I think it, it made me kind of grow up really fast and kind of, um, learn how to handle it. Cause if you don't, you know, you're kind of in a tough spot because I don't think professional golf isn't as glamorous as, as a lot of people think, um, especially on those kind of developmental tours, even the corn Ferry tour. Um, you know, it's a lot of sleeping in hotels, changing, places every week and driving and it's not the private jet uh you know staying in the ritz every week yeah that that happens for like 25 to you know maybe 40 guys on tour and the longer that i've done this and the the more friends that i've made out on all the different tours is you hear kind of those same stories over and over is you know we had to share ubers or uh you know we had eight guys sleeping in a in an airbnb stuff like that and those lower rung tiers are, uh, you know, are, are probably where most people's metal is really tested as you start to become an actual tour pro. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my, my first experience was flying down to Mexico, still in college, you know, hardly speaking any English, getting to the airport, you know, no transportation set up and just kind of sitting there like, what are, you know, who do we talk to? What do we do? And Luckily, you know, there were a couple other players um, that were there at the same time. And, you know, we got a taxi and the guy literally threw our clubs on top of the taxi, pulled a rope out of the trunk and tied him down and, you know, rolling through Mexico City. So it's like, <laughs> it's like welcome to uh, professional golf. Um, so in, in 16, you have your highest finish ever so far on tour, right? Finishing third at the, the Sony Open in Hawaii. Um, it seemed like that, that career run just kept on skyrocketing, you know, towards the top as you went from that 14, 15 year and then onto the PGA tour, um, in 16, how much of that first year on tour do you remember and how much was just an absolute blur? Yeah. I mean, I remember most of it, uh, it was just really fun, you know, um, kind of what I wanted to do my entire life um then you, you know you get out there and you're playing with people like Tiger Woods and you know all these people you see on TV playing at these awesome courses that are in perfect condition playing for a lot of money so I mean it was it was great it was awesome so it's been really fun to uh get back out there and um kind of get back into it I think one of my my first memories of you on tour was not actually seen but hearing about at the wells fargo how you kind of damaged uh your putter realized it was damaged and went to the rules officials after and and you know subsequently was you know were dequeued from the tournament i just remember thinking like you know here's a dude who's kind of almost like me out on the course <laughs> where you know i get pissed and, and i want to break something um i don't because i paid for it and I, and I don't have a backup but uh <laughs> then he goes off and does the right thing and i was like wow that's that's pretty cool can you can you tell us the story about uh about damaging the putter yeah it was really funny because after that you know I, I think i posted like a video of woody austin or something on my twitter when he broke the putter over his head right you can't believe how many people like thought that was an actual video of me um <laughs> which which was pretty funny i i don't know if it might have been my rookie year no it probably wasn't my rookie year because the next week was the players 
and I got in the player. So it wouldn't have been my rookie year. It was probably my second year on tour. Um, I mean, quail was just such a, it was such a brutal week. It rained so much like Tuesday, Wednesday that the course was just so wet and the greens were so firm because they have that sub air and it was just way too long for me. And I was having a tough week and, uh, I, I can remember hitting a really good shot into like the fourth or fifth hole and just, you know, hitting a really good putt. I thought barely missing it. And just, you know, just like a simple, like whack, you know, of the shaft to kind of like my head, my hat, it wasn't anything crazy. You know, it was, it didn't like snap or anything. And I just remember I hit a good shot on the next hole onto the green. My caddy gave me the putter and I was sitting over there on the, the side of the tee box, you know, just taking practice strokes and the sun was shining right on the shaft and you could see kind of where it had made like an indent in the shaft. Um, so, I mean, I hit it hard enough on my head, but it wasn't like, it wasn't crazy. Um, so, I mean, I just called the, uh, official, uh, over and kind of asked him, I said, Hey, I, you know, i missed a putt on the last hole and I kind of whacked it on my head. And I tapped in, but I noticed that, uh, you know, on the next tee box, I noticed that there's like a little indent in the shaft and he was like, yeah, I mean, it's like not a conforming club anymore. And, you know, since you tapped in, um, you know, you're DQ'd. And I was like, all right, let's get out of here. <laughs> like, it was kind of like, it was a tough week. And, uh, I was kind of like, all right, let's, let's head down to Ponte Vedra, get ready for the players, had a good week the next week, but it, it was, uh, you know, it was a funny situation. It wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, I do have a little bit of a temper sometimes, especially and maybe not as bad anymore, but, um, it's never been anything crazy. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, what is your all time favorite club destruction on tour doesn't have to be yours i've got i've got mine one that i like a lot but i'm just wondering if if you've seen one out there or even on videos that that you enjoy thomas peters has had a few that uh (laughs) have been legendary um i mean he has the one where he snaps it over his neck but he also has like the one at the british one year i think where he just snapped it and threw it in the gorse, which was pretty sick. Yeah, he throws <laughs> he throws the both both parts of it into, into the gorse bush. Yeah, um, yeah, those ones. I, I mean, the Rory McIlroy when he threw like the iron into the lake at Doral, that was pretty yep. sick too. Those um, are I, I you know I I I definitely appreciate ones where the the lid completely blows off. Not like those yeah. little ones where like Sergio's done some where he's pressed on it and the head snaps a little bit. If I want destruction, like I want complete carnage out there. I have a really good one. <laughs> I have a great one about Sergio. I was it was my rookie year. I was playing with him at the Honda, and uh, it was just it was we had a long day where we had to come back and, and play like eight or nine holes to finish that round and then have a break and then finish the 18, um, on 18 more on Sunday. And he was having kind of a tough day. Wasn't driving it particularly well. And we started on the back and we got to the eighth hole, which was our 17th hole of the day. And he pushed one in the right trees and like full on, you know, couple huge slams into the tee box, flipped the club around, went straight over to his bag, slammed the belly as hard as, you know, as hard as he could. And you could see like three iron heads just fall into the bag. Like, you know, a nine iron, eight iron, seven iron just snapped right in half in the bag. And then he was totally fine, just completely, you know, okay. Completely fine. And, uh, he got to the next hole I remember and hit three wood off the tee. And he was right in that yardage where, you know, it was going to be like an eight iron or something, but he, he didn't have a nine, eight or a seven. (laughs) And he hit one of the most incredible shots I'd ever seen. Just this low hook from like two, you know, from like, uh, you know, the edge of the fairway to like two or three feet. And I kind of went over to him after he tapped in for birdie and just kind of joked with him and was like, Hey man, was that, did you turn down the pitching wedge or did you just kind of like fillet a six in there? And he was like, no, I ripped a wedge, (laughs) but it was, 
<laughs> it was like it was one of the funniest things ever because I mean he just freaked out, but then he was totally fine, you know, right, walking off the tee, you know, how how's everything going? How's your day? You know, it was just it was just it was so good. But that one was where you know he completely blew the lid off and then he had his clubs fixed somehow like 40 minutes later we teed off for our second 18 of the day it was crazy well yeah when you're sergio i guess you you get that you get that luxury of uh of them fixing them super quick i'm always partial to uh kepka was uh was having a poor driving day one week at honda i think it was i think it was two years ago now and on the tee box he rips his driver on a hole that everyone's in three wood and he doesn't like the swing, puts the club down and just steps on the neck of the driver and completely splits it right at the hosel. Um, you know, the announcers are like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. It must be, you know, wide right. He probably missed the fairway by 80 yards. Here he is, like, smack in the middle of the fairway. Perfect, you know, perfect ball flight, everything. And then he's walking up the fairway, like holding the head of the driver, just kind of swinging it back and forth and then eventually tosses it to his caddy. And he's like 40 yards ahead of everyone else in his group, dead (laughs) straight, you know, center of the fairway type deal. Yeah, it's it's wild. It definitely, you know, golf's frustrating for sure. You just sometimes uh, people have like different ways of handling things. And I've never thought it was the end of the world to kind of let it out as long as you can kind of uh get back you know where you need to be kind of in a good frame of mind so i mean everyone handles it differently yeah sometimes you just need to punch a wall you know what i mean then all of a sudden <laughs> everything everything goes back to normal yeah. uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna switch things up a little bit i'm gonna i want to get back into um you know your season but went instagram live a little bit and people have a, a ton of questions so i'm gonna pick two of them real quick and and ask you uh, if you're cool with that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Train on Main says, he says, how pissed are you that everything is suspended when you were really trying, you know, really kind of hitting your stride on on tour this year? Yeah, it's kind of a weird situation because um, we just don't really know, like, what's going to happen. So, I don't really know whether to be upset or or what at this point um i think we'll just kind of have to wait it out and see but uh, i mean I, I will be pretty upset if you know something happens where you know they like cancel the year and none of the fedex cup points have you know count or anything but uh right now it's just kind of a waiting game to see what they're gonna do yeah it's uh a, a, you know and now we hear the new york post reports and you know while they're not the greatest source of information um, you know, the, the USGA is, is probably going to postpone the U S open and kind of makes sense considering Wingfoot is closed. Um, so Savage Merlino on Instagram asks, if you had to choose one event that was going to be your first one back once this season resumes, what would it be? Um, I mean, right now, colonial is the one slated to you know start it back up i don't really see that happening but that one or Mirfield would be great uh, you know i'd love to kind of get back going when those events are supposed to be uh to be played but who knows i, I love Mirfield's of course that i've always enjoyed um playing so that'd be a cool one i think to to get things back going again um now with with the majors all being done and we had talked a little bit on the pod uh, a few episodes back about you know what possibly might be done and obviously everyone's pontificating about you know is there going to be a fall masters are we going to have you know all the majors in october or whatnot um have you heard anything at all you privy to any information about what may or may not occur in the future I mean, we've heard fall masters, um, just from random people. I mean, we were out golfing, I don't know, a week ago or two weeks ago and some, you know, caddies and other people had kind of been talking like they had heard that. But I mean, honestly, I have no idea. It'll be really interesting. I just don't see how a fall masters can work unless they cancel the fall events because they're not going to. I don't think they're going to play the masters just to play the masters. If that makes sense, you know, it'll need to be going towards the FedEx cup and going towards the season. And they're not going to play two masters in, you know, five or six months. Uh, So I, I think at this point, I'm not 
too sure, you know, what will happen. But I think the more things keep getting postponed and pushed back, um, you might see one, you might see the masters kind of take someone's spot somewhere in the schedule, but I don't think they'll like cancel a fall event or anything like that to plug a masters in just to play it. Yeah. And the, you know, everyone's saying that there's, there's good news that the Olympics will be suspended till next year because that opens up a little bit of time, but obviously it doesn't open up any time for Augusta. The course is closed at that time of year. So, you know, what you might be able to have is, is to restructure the order of events and maybe start with the PGA US Open Open Championship and then have the Masters sometime after. But but you're right. I mean, I don't know how the PGA Tour or even those other um, non-PGA Tour major held events can come out and say, well, uh, you know, RSM, we're taking your week, you know, and we're going to hold the Masters at this time as well. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, all those, like, governing bodies kind of work together. I mean... Uh, you know the masters is obviously their own um you know their own thing but i don't think i think they have like a good relationship obviously like with the pga tour and everything so i just don't see my main thing is i just don't see how they would do that from a season standpoint so would that mean there's two masters for the 2021 season or would that mean they don't play a fall series you know, because the more if you keep canceling stuff, like if you cancel the fall series, that just kind of screws over the 2021 season. Um, and but the one thing is, I know like Augusta is shut down um, in the summer and everything like that, but it doesn't mean that it has to be. You know what I mean? Like right, they could, they could they could play a non overseed because one after they play the masters it's open for a few more weeks and then they shut it down because it gets hot and and that whole thing but they shut it down because they've had their big event of the year you know what i mean so they could keep it open and play it in the summer it would be really hot or you know maybe kind of later once the summer gets towards the end i mean it would still be really hot down there but it doesn't mean like the course has to be shut because they kind of, you know, dictate when they shut it and when they want to. And they do that all so it's in good shape and everything can get prepared for, like, the next season. But their whole season's based around having the Masters. So, I mean, you never know. Who knows? But I haven't heard anything. We haven't heard much from the PGA Tour besides, hey, we'll keep you posted. But that was kind of a week or two ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We, I was actually down at um, Sawgrass doing media for the players, uh, you know, when everything kind of went down. And that was just a cluster in and of itself that that Thursday afternoon into Friday morning down there. It was, uh, you know, beyond chaotic, to say the least. I bet. Yeah, that was that was kind of wild for sure. <laughs> so let's let's. uh Thank you for answering those questions. So everyone got those answers. I did not get to everyone's. I apologize, but hopefully, you know, Zach will get to some of those later in the pod. Um, 15 and 16, you make the FedEx Cup playoff. Um, you know, that's that's enormous. The rookie year, you make it, and then the next year after. What was your goal leading into this season? Are you someone that kind of sets goals? Like, do you write them down at the beginning of the season, or, or do you just kind of let it flow? I mean, honestly, um, I mean, the r- real thing, the uh, tour championship, that's kind of like my big goal every year. And I think if you do that, it takes care of so many other things. Or, you know, you could have the goal of winning. It's kind of like they go hand in hand. If you win, you're probably going to make it to the tour championship. Um, more often than not, I would say. But, uh I mean, yeah, that I, I've never got there, and that's kind of a big one. You get into all the majors the next year, all the all the WGC events. So that's kind of one that I've had my eye on the last few years, and now my first year back after, you know, not playing for a year or so. But uh, that that's my big goal: that and winning. And uh, you know, obviously, unlike a lot of tour pros, you 
play a ton of golf. I mean, I've talked to so many guys and so many women on the LPGA tour that when golf is not going on or if they miss a cut or if there's an off week, you know, the last thing they want to do is is pick up clubs. Uh, you know, like I guess Brooks Kepka is probably the best example on tour or at least, you know, portrays himself to be the best example on tour of someone that just doesn't practice or play. You play all the time. Right. People see that on Instagram. They see it everywhere. Um, where where did where did that come from? Like, where did the architectural enthusiasm that you have come from that you want to go off and see these kind of golden era courses and these classic courses during the weeks of tournaments? Um, well, that side of it came from like the whole BC, you know, trying to build my course. And it was a good excuse to kind of go out and see the really good places and see what made them so good and kind of be able to cherry pick ideas from some of those great spots. But the playing, the playing side of it is more, I mean, I, I just competing. I love playing. Um, I mean, just playing off every single day. I mean, me and me and a couple of friends would, you know, ditch school, go play these big money games with some of the, uh, you know, older kind of good players, good amateurs. And I mean, it just kind of carried over where we just played golf every single day. Um, and I, I've got a good group of friends at home that like to play and that are good at golf. So it, it's, it's a little. And just go get a. To and play that aren't people. You that I like to be around and that I enjoy to where um, maybe a lot of those players, they kind of live in areas where they're just surrounded by the same people they play with every week. So when they go home, they're like, God, oh, the last thing I want to do is just go be around the same people again. Um, so it's a little different for me, but I mean, I just love playing golf. <laughs> now you, you mentioned the, the buck club design and uh, you know, obviously everyone that listens to this podcast uh, knows of the buck club, knows of the idea, the conception behind it. Um, I guess walk me through, I, I kind of know the history of it and following it from the beginning, but walk some of our listeners that might not be as familiar with it. Ha That's obviously a dream for anyone that plays golf. Like imagine if I owned my own golf course, what would I do if I built my own golf course? How did you take that step of it being kind of a pipe dream and then actually kind of put it into segments that it can become reality again yeah for me it was kind of like i gotta see all these really cool clubs when i was in certain areas or certain places that we were playing the the tour schedule and um just kind of was like man we don't really have anything like this where where i'm from it would be really cool to build a place like this for me and my friends um and it's crazy how it's kind of evolved into so much more. The more I've learned about it and the more um, more places I've seen, more people I've talked to that are kind of in that um, in that world. And it's a little different because it's like my dad owned and operates golf courses. So for me, it's like I have, you know, my dad's owned courses my whole life growing up. So we did have our own place. Um, he lives down in St. George now, so it's not close, you know, it's three and a half hours away. So it's not like I can take, uh, advantage of it as much anymore. But so it's not just like out of the blue, I was like, man, it would be cool to, uh, you know, own a golf course. It's like something I grew up with my whole life, you know, watching my dad, you know, route golf courses, design and build and everything like that and manage. So it's kind of just like in my blood a little bit, but, uh, it definitely kind of evolved and took off the word got out there a little bit. I would say like probably five years ago, probably towards the end of my rookie year, start of my second year to where, you know, some more people had heard about it and, you know, we, we had made this logo and, and it was honestly just kind of like a joke at first. Like we made it for like me and my friends and 
people would see it and be like, man, what's that hat? Or, you know, what is that bag? Can I get some of it? And we were like, yeah, maybe we should start like making a little more of it. And then we made a little more and started selling it and people heard about it and wanted more. So it's been crazy to see how it's kind of transformed and evolved. And as of right now, it's kind of, you know, we don't have a property yet. You know, we, we got our eye on a few, but it's kind of a, a cool little group of people from all around the world, honestly, that are kind of supporting this dream and kind of bought into it. And, you know, we do a lot for junior golf and, um, try to give back as much as we can because, uh, I was lucky enough to be able to, to have all that stuff growing up and the means to kind of go play golf and go do cool things, but not everybody is that fortunate. So it's been nice to kind of, you know, throw a little, um, bone to junior golf and, everything like that that's been cool for me growing up yeah you talked about how quickly it spread and i can i can even relay some stories from myself and i've been stopped at at numerous tournaments and just people in the gallery saying hey man you know love the hat i got one at home yeah cool cool um and you know and you end up talking with people because you you have this this connection that's even kind of more of a connection than golf is you know golf is, yeah. a, is a great equalizer it brings everyone together and if i like golf and you like golf we can probably get along but if if i know about this little subsection in golf and you know about it too then i know you're like a real golf nerd like me yeah, yeah. exactly that's been the that's honestly been one of the coolest things about the entire journey of this so far is I would say that stuff, you know, where you get people telling those stories about meeting people or, you know, how they got this new golf buddy that they go on trips with just because they met him at some course and saw the hat or the logo, that stuff. And then the the whole ringer golf tournament that we do has been just so cool to see how much, you know, good that we've done and how many people have met different people that are now friends forever, basically. And, I mean, I get people all the time, like even if you don't build a golf course, like you've done so much cool stuff to, to help grow the game, which is, you know, we, we obviously we're going to build a golf course and we want to do that as soon as possible. But at the end of the day, that's kind of, you know, we're doing a lot and, and that's been fun to be a part of. Yeah. It's very easy for, for tour pros. I feel to give back in, in terms of, uh, just kind of throwing money at a problem, you know, to grow the game. Oh, Hey, Hey, here's, here's 50 grand for, uh, you know, the first tea charity and then they never show up and, and help out. But you're literally at the forefront and kind of boots on the ground, helping out, you know, junior tours everywhere. Um, we, I have a buddy who helps out on the pod, Derek Jones. He was at the ringer at Pinehurst. Um, my buddy, John Pannoni, from Spargo Golf, you know, he won um, one of the events at the Ringer. So it's this small kind of niche community that's really giving back, which is phenomenal. Yeah, it's it, it, like I said, it's been really cool. And that's kind of like the coolest thing um, that I've that I've witnessed about the whole the whole progress of the project so far. And uh, definitely looking forward to kind of um, when we can get moving some dirt and get a property that we feel is the right piece and everything like that. But until then, you know, we're not in any crazy rush to make any drastic decisions unless they're sustainable and, you know, really good options. Now I know that you're a great artist and, and love doodling and designing holes and stuff. When you finally do break ground, how much of an impact and input will you have in the buck club design? Is it going to go off of those routings that you have available now? Well, so those routings that we have available or that are kind of online and on the, uh, on the website that you can look at, those are for this property that we were originally going to buy, um, in Utah that just, it didn't work out. You know, the landowners kind of, you know, made it seem like they wanted to be involved and we're going to help out and, you know, we we're going to be able to do that. And then it kind of got into a situation where, um, it just didn't work out and they, they weren't as, you know, willing to do stuff with us as we originally thought. Um, but I, me and Rob and Tad and Andy Johnson and a bunch of my friends, um, were 
you know, we did all that together, um, sketched holes, kind of went out and, uh, created the whole routing, walked it and played it and did everything. So, I mean, whenever we get to that next step with the, if we do it on that property, if we find a different property, it's all going to be kind of the same process. I'll definitely be very um, involved in that whole side of the thing. Cause to me, this is kind of like my, like, it's kind of like my baby project. You know, I, I never wanted to go into like the golf architecture business. I don't want to be a golf architect. I don't want to go design courses all over the world or all over the country, but I want to do this one. Um, so it's kind of like I would definitely be involved in every aspect of the course and the design and all the little details. Um, so I'm really excited to, to see how that goes. Now, I know kind of as of recently, the idea has possibly changed from maybe one private course with a national membership to possibly two courses, one open for public play, one being private. Um, what's your ideal situation when the buck club is built you know i'm kind of i i sit kind of right on this fence that kind of pulls me both directions um and it just kind of depends what day it is um i've always i've always loved like uh, more of like a uk model where it's a private club because you're always going to have private clubs um but i would want one that's affordable for you know realistically anyone that has been involved in this whole process you know we have so many people that support it um i I definitely don't want it to be a situation where we just close the doors and it's like hey sorry you know thanks for all your support but you know you have to be a millionaire to join this club so i definitely don't want something like that i want it to be where people can get out and play it and um, you know, you're going to be able to see it. And if you've supported, you know, this whole dream, this whole journey, this whole ride, you're going to be able to get out there and kind of experience the whole thing. Um, but at the same time, I, I, there are definitely real big pluses to like private clubs. You can kind of keep them less busy. Um, you usually can kind of have them in a little better shape because they are, you know, less traffic and, and all that stuff. But so my perfect scenario would probably be some sort of a, you know, UK model where it's a private club, but there is public access and, you know, maybe there's certain months where it's open to public kind of like in those, um, slower months where you can have public play all the time, but you definitely want to keep it still where it is that kind of closed off environment where it's not packed and you're not playing six hour rounds. You can kind of get out there and the course is yours. Uh, those are, those are my favorite places. Do you anticipate there being any type of, of lodging there for people coming, you know, cross country and whatnot? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's always kind of been in the model. Um, it's always, it's always, and it always will be, more of that national model where you know you have members or people from all over coming to play and coming coming out for multiple days at a time um you know where you're bringing you know if if it is a membership type place you're bringing two or three of your buddies or four or five six of your buddies staying on property and kind of doing everything there um that's kind of one of my favorite things about a place like pine valley or or a hoopy. It's kind of like once you're there, you're not really leaving. You know, you're on property. You're going to stay on property. You're going to do everything there, hang out, because that's the whole like camaraderie type vibe that you want. Where it's like people are there, hanging out. You're all there to golf. You all love golf. You all want to kind of just hang out, meet new people. You know, enjoy some food, enjoy some great golf, and just kind of chill. Yeah, it's basically a microcosm of, of the abandoned model where you don't need to leave the property. There's no reason to yeah. because you're there to play golf. Exactly. And and now, I've never I've actually never been to Bandon not for a tournament. So I, I can't really speak on, you know, how busy it is and you know how any of that stuff works. But yeah, that's kind of like the same thing. You know, you can do everything you need to do there. 
Now you you mentioned the ringer. We know the the next one. Um, you know, hopefully, depending on what's going on with the world of time, is going to be at uh, Sweetens. Are there any, or not? Are there? I guess. What can you take from the development of of Sweetens and and what they've done and and been able to accomplish and apply to the Buck Club in the future? I think the biggest thing you know rob and tad did such a good job of kind of just creating that place and then you know a bunch of our friends you know like andy at the fried egg you know all the guys at no laying up i think did a really good job of helping promote that place and kind of giving it life you know it was in a really bad spot for a while and then those guys you know kind of took the top off that and and you know shined a light on it and let so many people kind of into that world and you know i think you got so much traffic going going to sweetens from those outlets where so many different people got to experience how cool it is out there that for me hopefully we kind of have that built in to our club you know because it is rob and tad that are going to build it um so we're hoping that when we do, you know, break ground and when we do, you know, start fundraising and getting everything to where it needs to be to open it up and, and build it, we kind of have that built in, um, like sweetens factor where it's like, yo, we're just going to build this type of place, but like 18 holes on a sick piece of property. And it's going to be so much fun. And it's going to have that type of vibe where it's like, just super fun you go out play golf enjoy it and you go back to you know one tee right after you finish yeah and and you know people will travel for it because you know obviously you know you guys and and kind of golf instagram and social media was able to put sweetens on the map yeah like i said i i don't know if it was as much me i i hadn't been there until it was actually really funny because i had like basically hired rob over dms in instagram uh, before I had even been to Sweetens Cove, I had had a few friends like Andy Johnson and, like I said, some of the No Laying Up guys that had been out there that were like, dude, you got to go check it out. It's just so much fun. It, you know, it, there's so many different ways to play it, and it's just very enjoyable golf. And I had started talking to Rob kind of around that time, maybe a little before then, just, you know, asking him questions, kind of asking him his style, what he liked to build, would he be interested? And I mean, we kicked it off, you know, pretty right away, um, just over DMs. And then obviously I brought him out to Utah and everything like that. But I can't really take credit for putting Sweetens on the map. It was definitely a, a whole other group of people that did that. But I'm glad I can help now. Very cool. Um, I want to change gears a little bit and talk about the Buck Club merchandise and design. Because I know you have a very, very heavy hand in that. And uh I am I am probably the least fanboy person out there. Like I'm just a firm believer that people are people regardless of what you do for a living or what you were born into. But I'd be remiss to say if if I if I didn't come clean and say that, you know, I'm a big fan of the Buck Club, even if it doesn't ever get built. The the merchandise itself is insane. Um, you know, I'm one of those people that have probably too many items from it. And then I've got to explain to people when they ask, hey, what's that logo? You know, and then I, I go off and I explain, well, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, a group of people and a, a club. They're like, oh, where is it? I'm like, well, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's nowhere, but it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's definitely... Um... I mean, it's really cool, but at the same time, it's really weird, right? It's, uh, I told you guys earlier on, it was like, originally it was just, I was making hats for me to wear and a couple of my friends and then some people liked it. And so we started, you know, giving it to them and then people, more people wanted it. And we were like, shoot, we got to like actually charge for this now because I'm just going to like lose so much money <laughs> just like making hats for myself and giving <laughs> them to, to thousands of people. Um, but it's turned into a really cool thing that to me, it's more of like a guerrilla marketing, um, you know, play where we kind of get the word out there and it kind of spreads 
you know, this really cool story um, on its own. But it it has turned into a, a very big deal for sure. Like we make so much stuff and we try and use really quality companies and make really quality products. So it's been fun. And for me, it's really cool. Uh, you know, I like to design the putter covers and use those out on tour. And it's been really fun from that aspect. And it kind of gives me a nice outlet to sketch and doodle and draw. It's been fun. You know, we we finally had to, I mean, me and my wife were literally doing it all until, you know, two, three months ago, you know, boxing up thousands of boxes during drops and it was pretty insane, but, uh, now we got somebody that kind of helps us run it and it's been really nice to have, um, you know, that side of things a little more under somebody's watch full time. Cause I just couldn't do it anymore. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's really fun. The only thing that bothers me sometimes are when people, you know, like get mad at us for selling merch. They're like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I've never understood it because, it's like these people get a product. It's not like we're hawking like fake tea times to this course that isn't built. You know what I mean? It's like you get a hat or you get a belt or you get a, you know, a putter cover or a head yeah, cover. There's something or a shirt. tangible. Yeah, exactly. Like it's something you actually receive. So uh, those are the only people that kind of get on my nerves a little bit. But uh, I, I think, you know, in a handful of years, it'll all be worth it. And, you know, kind of all those people, I think, will have their foot in their mouth a little bit. And it, it'll be uh, I'm sure they'll be the first ones in line to want to play the course. So it'll be a nice day. Well, people love nothing more than to bitch and complain about stuff. That's the bottom yeah, line. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, let's let's go into these putter covers a little bit because through DMs, I kind of found out that you were the one that is actually the artist doing it, and I didn't know that at all. I didn't know about the artistic background. Um, where do the ideas come from? What has been your favorite one so far? Oh man, I mean, the ideas just you know usually come from some sort of event that it's based off of, um, or things that I really enjoy. So I think those are kind of the two categories that most of the ideas come from. Um, I mean, the masters like caddy bib ones are, I think one of the coolest ones we we've done it the last two years. And I think it's kind of something that I would like to continue doing. Cause it, you know, we can change them up a little bit with, you know, some of the designs or some of the colors or the you know, everything like that. But, um, God, a couple of the other ones, I mean, there's so, I literally have so many that it's getting crazy. I had to actually <laughs> hire someone to build me like, uh, like a wall that I can put all of them on in my office. But man, I wish I had them in front of me. I know that like the, the Jason one was really cool. A couple of the ones we have, um, being made right now, we kind of did that I, I did this contest maybe like a month ago where I sketched up like, you know, 16 or whatever designs. And we yeah, kind it was of, like the I March had, Madness. Bracket. Yeah, exactly. I had the fans kind of vote on them and it's down to the final four and we're getting them like actually made right now so that the fans can kind of vote on them in like a more like a way of actually seeing what they're going to look like instead of just a sketch. But I think it's down to like the, happy gilmore the chubbs and the gator it's got like a gator that's got chubbs's hand um yeah so i want to interrupt real quick and for everyone that's going to listen to this you need to vote for that one because it's the one i vote for all the time and it's the one <laughs> that i need so everyone that follows zach everyone that listens to us please rig the vote get that one made all four of them are going to be made though um, okay so, fair enough yeah yeah so the Chubbs, then we have this uh, like NASA rocket ship one that's going to be like literally so insane. It's going to be really, really cool. And then the Jordan shoes, it's kind of got like, you know, a handful of the of my favorite Jordan shoes. And then the last one, I think, is a fly fishing one. Um, so we're kind of right in the process of finishing that one up. Um but I think it'll be really cool. Those the Jordan shoe one's going to be insane. Um, but they're all going to be really cool. Yeah, the the Jordan shoe one and the the Chubbs one are ones that I need. And you had mentioned the Masters one uh, for the drop that just occurred. 
uh, last week or so, and uh, I had it in my cart, and I was waiting for the flag to come up, and oh, the flag no. came up, and then I got the flag in, and the putter was gone. But the flag is coming like tomorrow or so. <sighs> but, uh, so yeah, if you make that again next year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think what we're going to try and do, I mean, if there's another, if there is going to be a fall masters, we will try and make another batch that's like slightly tweaked, you know, just a little different colorway or something. Cause we had so many people try and get that cover. It's like, I never know. The masters is always obviously really popular, sure. but you never really know you know how popular something's gonna be um and we just you know we just obviously like didn't make enough and it's just it's kind of sad and i feel bad for people that don't get it but at the same time it's like we want to we don't want to just always have people get everything they want but because then it seems like this stuff isn't like as cool you know just that's how things work you know like jordan shoes for example sometimes they're like the travis scott jordans like Sometimes you just can't get them. It's like, you know, it's just it's just part of the part of the gig. Yeah, well, and 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 part of that is what makes it so fun. And I know you're a big sneakerhead and 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 I am too. Um my favorite pair of Jordans that I have, which I was kind of disappointed were not on the head cover, but I understand are the Neymar 5 lows, but those are such a niche shoe that, you know, a ton of people don't know about that they don't make it on there. Um, but you know, you have the same thing. Like Nike does the same thing with, uh, look at Air Max day yesterday, you know, stuff was sold out within 45 seconds to a minute and that's a multinational company. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I I've always, I kind of modeled all of what we kind of do on the merchandise side after, um, like Jordan drops and Scotty Cameron drops because that's what makes stuff kind of more collectible and cool is when you can't always just get it if that makes sense so if we just had the master putter cover always available you know for anyone that wanted it it would still be really cool but i think it would lose come some of that drive for people to really really want it and then it would lose some of its um like coolness right you know now if you have that you're like dude look what i got like i got this this is really cool there's only you know x amount of these out there um but if anybody could just get it at any time you wouldn't really be you know bragging about it or showing it off because it's just like oh yeah i can go order that right now well yeah i mean it, it brings that mystique factor to it yeah you know that, yeah. that's the bottom line and like you know after joining the collective like i literally set alarms on my phone for five o'clock <laughs> on you know, on whenever the drop's going to be. Like, there's another one tomorrow. So... And it's literally, like, we can't, like, like, we run this. Like, I ran it out of my basement. And, you know, the guy that helps us do it now, like, he runs it out of his garage. It's not like, it's not like we have these warehouses and it's not like we make the stuff. You know, we order them, like, the putter covers. Like, we get them done from EP or we get the belt from Smath Smather and Branson. So it's not like we just have the ability to be like, oh crap, let's go make like 150 more of these because those ones sold out. <laughs> you know what I mean? So well, we don't have, and we're like a startup company, and right, like we're right. trying to build a golf course. It's like we can't just, we can't put all this money and all this time into having these huge, you know, stock of all this product. So it's kind of, it, there's a lot more to the story than people think. Like we get so many messages every single day. Like, can't you just like make one more of these? And it's like, literally like, no, we can't, <laughs> like we can't. I can only imagine the number of DMS that you get because I get them from people that say, Hey, did you get that? Did you miss out on this? What did you get in this drop? And I have to remind people, and like I'm not even your PR guy, but I've got to remind people that you have a full time job. Like your job is is not designing these. Like this is a hobby. You know, like like podcasting for me is a hobby. It doesn't pay the bills. Um, yeah. And people have to kind of realize, like you know, you got to let the man go out and practice for what he actually does for a living. <laughs> Yeah. And that, and that's why, honestly, that's why we had to, we hired one of my friends to kind of, um, take over the kind of day-to-day -day operations of it. Cause I just, 
literally couldn't do it anymore. And we had so much demand for the stuff that I didn't want to just completely shut the door on it and be like, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll do like two drops a year. And, you know, thanks, thanks for your guys' support. We wanted to continually do it and have stuff available every week and, you know, do some cool stuff around tournaments and have someone be able to get all that stuff out to people. And I just, you know, it just worked out that I couldn't do that anymore. And I didn't want to kind of shut the door on it. Sure, sure. I mean, and in, in, in this way, even though people complain, I mean, this way allows more product to be out there and shipped faster and, and, and more drops to occur. So, you know, there really shouldn't be any complaints. Um, hey, I want to get you out of here with some rapid fire questions at the end, if that's cool. Yeah, for sure. All right, cool. Um, so what has been your best memory of any of the ringer tournaments so far? Um, I mean the fake hole in one with Tron was pretty <laughs> insane. I mean, it was such a good, sh he made a hole in one the day before. So everybody listening, there's some context to it. Like it wasn't, it wasn't that mean, like he had a hole in one on the same hole the day before. So, but the, the whole story behind it was insane. Cause we had all these people down at the tee and we had a couple people up at the, up at the green and we were like, okay if he hits a good shot like we gotta freak out and because you couldn't really see the hole from where the tee box was and it just so happened like he hit the best shot ever and like one hopped off the stick to like two inches so it was really easy to freak out and kind of show that fake eruption because it was actually that good of a shot and the it was it was the coolest scene ever to see everybody down at the tee there were probably like 50 people down there just absolutely freaking out because they all thought it was real and uh i mean that was uh, that was one of the coolest moments ever i think uh favorite piece in your lego collection um i have this huge pirate ship that's probably uh that's probably my, one of my favorites um who do you enjoy playing most with out on tour when you're paired up with them the one that always comes to mind is Johnson Wagner. I mean, we like the same type of things as, you know, it's like he's, he's a big golf architecture guy. So it's easy to kind of talk about cool places that we've been to recently or clubs we want to go see. So, um, I, I would say him, um, obviously no names, but most annoying trait of someone you dislike playing with. Um, I would say probably just like people complaining about never making putts. You know, you, you, you hear all the time, like, oh, I never make anything like I never this, never that. And meanwhile, they're like usually the ones you see, like make like two or three bombs every <laughs> round. So I, I would say that's kind of the most annoying. How much time weekly or daily do you spend on buck club related ideas, merchandise, et cetera? Um, like right now, a lot, you know, I have nothing else to do. Literally it's like snowing outside. It's 30 degrees and we're stuck for who knows how long. Um, but usually like when I'm out in an event, it's kind of just stuff that's done on downtime after rounds when I'm just sitting at the hotel alone or on flights, sitting at the hotel or, or sitting at the airport. So it's kind of more something to do in my downtime. Do you ever get burned out playing extra golf during the week that's not tournament related? I don't think so. Those are kind of like, that's fun for me. You know, it's just completely like separate types of golf in my eyes. But I will say I did kind of tone down the playing at home. Uh, during off weeks, you know, once we got like some dogs and there were some other things to do, some other responsibilities, like, you know, my wife's pregnant, having a baby. So I kind of have to chill out a little bit and not play as much when I'm home uh, on those off weeks. Worst shot and best shot ever as a professional. So anyone that knows me knows that like best shot is a category. Um, so like I could have a hundred best shots. Sure. Uh, sure. It's a very yeah, difficult you know, question to answer with, yeah. with one answer. So, but I would say uh, the, the three, what I hit at Sony 
um, that one year was pretty sick. It was just like such a perfect shot came off so good. Um, so that, that one's an easy one to go with. And then worst shot, um, I hit a really, really bad drive a couple, couple weeks ago in Puerto Rico. I was kind of, I was right on the cut line where I needed to shoot like two or three under on the back nine, uh, which was so doable out there. And the first fairway is literally like there, you can't hit it too far left. And then there's like a 50 yard fairway. And then like 20 yards right of that is bushes. And I hit it in the bush somehow. It was like, I couldn't believe it. I was walking off the tee going like, how, like, how was it possible to hit that bad of a shot? Like you, like you literally can't hit that bad of a shot. And you did in the worst time ever. But, uh, that, that's a, that's a pretty good one. All right. And last one, are you more recognized for your golf out there or for the buck club? When people approach you, you know, after a round is over or something, what's, what's the number one thing they, they ask you about? I would say, you know, sadly, probably the whole TBC side of things, you know, we get people every time, you know, we're out during a round kind of, you know, saying like, yo, the buck club, ZB, the buck club. (laughs) So, you know, I think they know me for that, but at the end of the day, you know, they still know me. So I don't really, um, they're out there watching or they're out there following or doing something and, and recognizing, me playing golf so um either way it's fine with me all right um i mean everyone knows where to follow you on social media but i i do it with everyone um you know let let people know where they can follow you where they can get in touch with you give a shout out to the sponsors yeah shout out qualtrics for sure um <laughs> but following me i think i'm at zachary underscore blair on instagram and that's kind of i don't spend a ton of time on twitter anymore um so that and you can go follow the buck club but we post about it all the time so it's pretty easy awesome well zach again thank you so much for coming on i hope you stay warm i hope the snow melts and i really hope the season gets started soon okay man thanks so much all right people so either get busy golfing or get busy dying Hey, what's good, podcast patrons? Dan from Leave the Pin here. Listen, if you want to look good on the course, if you want to hit the ball a mile and look damn good doing it, Gas House Golf is the company you need to get on board with ASAP. Gas House Golf, newest apparel company out there, making you look fantastic. Look, the shirts are fire, the hats are fire, everything they do, everything they touch looks great on the course. You want to stand out, you want people to notice you, you want people to notice your game, get to gashousegolf.com. And right now, not only are they offering free shipping, they're also giving you an amazing 15% off code. Use our code, leave the pin, get 15% off all your purchases at gashousegolf.com. All gas, no break, Gas House Golf.